Hi, Jim here. Thanks for listening to this past episode of the Ski Podcast. Since releasing this podcast, we have a new supporter of the show. The Ski Podcast is now supported by Switzerland Tourism. They will be helping us explore some of the 355 ski destinations across the country, from famous names of Samaritz, Lax, Davos and Zermatt, to the lesser-known resorts that cover their mountainous land. We will be reporting on them and telling interesting stories about the people who live and work there. In total, there are 7,067 kilometres of slopes to ski and 1,800 lifts to ride and at least 80 of them are funiculars, which is good because I do love a good funicular. Well, there's a lot to do, so while we get on with that, you can get on with listening to this episode of the Ski Podcast. Thanks, listener, and thanks, Switzerland Tourism. You are listening to episode 30 of the Ski Podcast, which is sponsored by the Chill Factor, the Northwest Premier Ski and Snowboard Centre. It is a great place to go for a slide to get some turns in before you go on a ski trip. It's also a place where some schools have their PE lessons, but more of that later. Um, if you aren't at school um, that does go skiing for its PE lessons, you can get a discount code if you want to go to the Chill Factory in Manchester. All you need to do is book your session and when you're at the checkout, use our personal code SKIPOD10. I am Jim Duncombe. I'm sat in my thermals, but then again, I am just an old man doing a podcast about skiing. Uh, Ian Martin, I expect you're in your thermals. You're not very well. Uh, I've got a bit of a cough, but I'm very positive. But it is a, a bit blow. I'm in Brighton and it's a bit blowy down here. So I'm not in my thermals, but um, I'm feeling a bit chilly. But that's winter for you, isn't it? It is indeed, that is what winter um, will do to you, make you feel um, a bit cold. Um, coming up on today's show, uh, more from Eddie the Eagle, um, Ski Touring Morocco. Find out if you're a ski, if you're skiing powder correctly. Um, I'm going to review the Grand Bonard. We'll talk about Beth Tweddle, Gorshevel, and I have uh, the part two of ski servicing. Um, normally you don't do this part, Ian, but how can people get in touch with the show? Uh, I guess the best way would be to um, tweet us uh, at Ski Podcast, or we've got a Facebook page, which is also the Ski Podcast, or they can email us, uh, jim at theskipodcast.com or ian at theskipodcast.com. Um, I don't think they can send us a letter. Um, well, they could, okay. but I'm not giving out my address. Um, so, Ian, um, at the beginning of when we started podcasting, I'm, I went through a stage huh? of you know slagging off. Um, people who couldn't carry their skis and you know the different sort of paraphernalia yeah. that went along with ski carriaging well unfortunately I've gone and bought um, one of those ski carrying backpacks for my children so they can each carry okay. their skis on their back um, no, I don't am think I so, because hypocrite? were you talking about kids carrying skis or were you talking about those gadgets that you see every single year at the ski show where someone's decided they've come up with like this great new idea that no one's ever thought of before that's going to make carrying skis so much easier yeah exactly that's if you're making your life about. easier by getting your kids to carry their skis instead of you having to schlep them around then i think it's a good thing also just popped into my head um another thing we were we potentially reviewed back in um, the early shows was those um, neoprene things that go over ski boots. Now, I know we've those? done a lot of shows, um, but you're testing my memory here. I don't really know what you're, what you're talking about. So it's a bit of neoprene, a bit of neoprene, like wetsuit material, yeah. that just goes over the top of your boots, yeah. uh, over like the arch of your um, the top of your foot. Um, it's there to stop um, your boots getting scuffed and to keep your feet slightly warmer. Now, I never thought anyone would ever buy them, but I saw a man wearing a pair in a ski lift he was english um he'd clearly bought them at the ski show um, and he had to try and explain to some person he was really inquiring in french about what the hell they right. were. right okay yeah well we're a nation of eccentrics aren't we i guess it appeals to uh to someone uh, for sure and people like these little technical solutions sometimes even if it might look a little odd possibly or even if it's not a solution yeah and um Following on last week, we were talking about vending machines. I've got another one to add to oh, your yeah. list, yeah. Ian. Um, where I am is uh, not you. You were reporting on the Beaufort area of cheese. Yes. 
and the fact there was a Beaufort cheese vending machine in Bourg-Saint-Maurice. Um, as I've said before, where I am is the Reblichon region. Um, and obviously there's lots of cows and you get milk. There's a Vilk vending machine um, about a 20-minute drive oh, from Milk or Vilk? To, uh, <laughs> a milk, milk, a milk right, vending okay. machine. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure that used to be called a cow. But um, <laughs> yeah, now... There is there is a milk vending machine uh, down the road from me, so I just thought I'd, you could add that to your list of Alpine vending machines. Right, Ian, um, you've got something about Beth Tweddle. She's not a skier, is she? Uh, well, she was sort of temporarily a skier, very briefly. A long-term listeners of the show will know that in episode one we discussed the jump oh. being cancelled. <laughs> do you remember that? Uh, does anyone remember the jump? Of course they do, because uh, Beth Tweddle was on it one year, and she had a pretty nasty fall. Now, this was, it wasn't even in the ultimate season, because it's, you know, since been cancelled. Two years, three years ago, she was airlifted to hospital when she was, it was during training. She had uh, two fractured vertebrae and needed surgery on her spinal cord, and uh, she has recently announced that she is suing the jump, for £200,000 in damages. I suspect if there was any doubt as to whether the show was going to come back, it won't be coming back now. Well, it's hard to imagine that she hasn't, you know, they didn't all sign a disclaimer before they took part. I mean, they must have signed disclaimers. And if you sign a disclaimer, how can you sue afterwards? I don't know. Is it is a disclaimer not worth the paper it's written on? Yeah, I mean, it's, I, it's no one else is suing them, is there? Because obviously, you know, Rebecca Radlington dislocated her shoulder. Um, Linford Christie pulled a hamstring. Sarah Harding got an injured ligament. Does it sound like I'm reading this? Um, and obviously... It does. It sounds like you're looking at exactly the same page as me. Oh, Tina Hobley. Never heard of her, but I know she broke her arm. I know arm an in awful lot about Tina Hobley, but we won't go into that. No, well, I think if you're going to enter a show, which is about, you know, throwing yourself off jumps and down courses, then there's got to be a risk of... Uh, would you enter it, Ian? Would, it, would I enter it? I wouldn't enter it because it's like a reality thing, but I quite fancy doing a bunch of those things. I did go out to uh, Kutai... Um, during the filming of what I guess was the uh, the last season, um, yeah, it was because Bradley Wiggins was there for uh, for that one, and uh, I got to go down the the snowcross course, which I actually think is the most fun one. You know, it's a bit like um, uh, an ad- an adventure. You, you kind of have like a rollerblade type things on the bottom of your ski boots, so to speak. And you go down this course and you have to knock out uh, kind of rugby tackle bags along the way and stuff like that. And that was brilliant fun. I really enjoyed it. And, I, you know, the other racing side of things. But I, I stood by the bottom of the jump that they jump off. And, you know, it's tiny compared with, you know, one of the ones that like uh, Eddie the Eagle does or did. But I'm not sure I'd want to go off it. You know, big enough to make me think uh, twice or three times about it. Well, I was I was surprised that they didn't that no one had turned it into um, a thing for punters to go onto in the same way that what's that um, right. ITV program where you jump across the big giant balls and oh Ninja Warrior no not Ninja Warrior the other one oh well, the other fall, one that's like Ninja Warrior right but you okay. fall into water a lot so it's on channel it was on BBC okay I've, 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 I think I know the one you're talking about but I mean they, it's a very good point the the cost of creating the actual set in Kutai, one of the reasons they called it off is because, yeah, their insurance costs were huge. It would be interesting to see what happens in relation to this. I don't know. But I know their insurance costs were huge. And the cost of creating uh, that set every year in Kutai um, was was also pretty huge because they made this, you know, all of the different uh, elements, the jump and the snow cross and the slalom area and the chalet was at the bottom of the hill. It was kind of open on one side where they did the filming. Um, I think you've got a point. They were actually missing out on something there. If they left it there the whole time, then they could have monetized it by, by selling, you know, holidays into it and letting other people have a go, regular members of the public have a go. There we go. I expect royalties if that does happen. Now, Ian, I know we, um, yeah. we touched on um, the fire in Courchevel. I know you wanted to say a bit more about it this week. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's a tragedy over there with seasoned workers living in a, in accommodation. Uh, and it does seem that there could be a criminal case there. Um, possibly the landlords hadn't equipped 
the building with uh, with the, the, the proper fire safety equipment. Um, it's alleged that maybe some of the people in there weren't able to get out. And and I would recommend anyone to read a, a, a excellent opinion blog post uh, that um, I'll put in the show notes. Uh, it's on a blog called It's All Downhill From Here. Um, I think once upon a time I met the writer of this uh, uh, post, but she is based, he or she is based out in uh, Ladies Out, and it's an excellent um, post all about what it's like for season workers living in accommodation in the Alps and how often um, it happens that you're just living in unsuitable and dangerous uh, accommodation. I think that's a lot of people had assumed that that's changed, but I'm not sure it has changed that much, particularly when details of this have come out. Well, I think there's quite a lot of rules. Um, it just depends whether people choose to follow them. Um, interestingly enough, I had an email from someone who runs a, a ski um, tour operator and they want to come on the podcast, possibly the next one, and talk to us about you know the, the sort of infrastructure they have to put in place to comply with all the current regulation um, and the challenges that that okay. involves. So I think, maybe we'll follow uh, that up. That would, I think that would be, um, I'd find that really interesting. I know that not every uh, tour operator or different tour operators have different approaches, but as of this winter... You know, one of the key issues that's cropped up is that 40 um, hour a week, which means that a lot of um, companies have had to change their contracts. And, you know, the concept of a, a chalet uh, person, chalet host, you know, actually having a, a maximum number of hours has meant that, you know, some operators have introduced two nights off a week instead of one night off a week and, and things like that. Certainly change how they had to do things. And it's also quite... You know, anyone who's done a season will know that when you first go out there and you, if you're running a chalet, it takes you a long time in the first few weeks to get your head around the, the menu and you have Christmas week and big weeks like that. But by the time you're getting into kind of January, February, you've got your systems in place. And uh, I'm not going to say, you know, time saving shortcuts, but more efficient ways of doing things. So that 40 hours in December would be completely different from 40 hours in uh, January. What you really want to do is average it out over the season. But let's see what they have to say. Last week I was out in uh, Morocco. And, and I can't remember who it was, but a little while ago we had um, someone requesting some more stuff about ski touring. And I was ski touring. I went out to... Yeah, to Morocco and spent three days uh, ski touring in the in the Atlas Mountains. This is uh, Ian Martin, reporting from the High Atlas Mountains in Morocco. Been uh, ski touring out of the uh, refuge uh, Mouflon at 3,200 meters. Today we've just ski toured up to here, which I'm standing on a ridge at 4,000 metres at the moment. In front of me I can see uh, a Tubkal, the highest mountain in North Africa, 4167. We went up there on day one. Behind me right here, maybe you'll be able to see, you know, Anti-Atlas Mountains. And then about 50 miles further on uh, is the Sahara Desert. And, uh, you know, there's not as much snow as there has been in uh, some years. Uh, but the, uh, it's the adventure. That's what we're here for. So we're now about to probably, hopefully, ski down our best pitch uh, yet. And back from 4,000 to the refuge at 3,200. And, uh, you know, if you want to have an adventure, uh, come out here to the uh, High Atlas Interesting Mountains. audio, Ian. And also there's some videos out I've seen as well um, on Skipedia's Facebook page. So do go and check those out about Ian and his um, ski touring Morocco. The question I'm sure everyone who wants to, who's seen those videos or listened to that audio wants to know, Ian, who's got better snow, Morocco or the Chill Factory in Manchester? Well, interesting question. I haven't been out to uh, Chill Factory yet, but I am going there in a month's time, so I will be reviewing it myself. But I can say it's probably almost certain that Chill Factory has better snow because, um, you know, the the snow while we were there uh, in the Atlas Mountains and around Tubkal, etc., was, you know, was pretty poor. You know, I'll be honest with you. I mean, uh, it was a brilliant adventure. 
I really enjoyed, uh, you know, being out there. And personally, I quite like going uphill. And you're going uphill for kind of two and a half hours for a 30-minute descent. But the snow was, there's no peace, you know, there's no peace bashes or anything. It's just snow has fallen on a mountain. And then mainly frozen where it's in the shade, thawed a little bit in the sun. So, so you were based more predictable in one kind of hut-type complex, not massive. Yep. And yep. that's stayed in a refuge at 3,200 metres. And from there you went out each day and did a few um, hikes or skinned, skinned up and then came down. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. From 3,200, skinned up each day with our guide. First day we went up to Pakal, which is a very popular uh, mountain to climb. Most of the people who were staying in the refuge were going up to Tubkal. It's the highest mountain in North Africa, 4167 metres. But the other two days we went to different peaks and uh, we, you know, we didn't see anyone uh, when we were out there. We just had the mountain to ourselves. And from that point of view, you know, it was beautiful. It was being out in the mountains, which you know we all love, uh, and you know, working pretty hard because you know between three thousand two hundred and four thousand meters, and you know, there were there were turns. I mean, I I really enjoyed it. I'm not sure I'd go back to Morocco again, but it's made me think. Oh well, where else can I do this kind of experience? So that was my question. Where, where next? Where uh, will you go next? Well, I mean, looking into Pakistan at the moment, <laughs> and possibly somewhere in you know in Kashmir and in India, not necessarily Gulmarg, because quite that's more kind of well known, but um, maybe off the track, off the beaten track around that uh, area. You know, we'll see because you know for people who haven't done ski touring, I actually saw quite an amusing article. I think it was written by. Can't remember who it was written by. I'll put a link into the show notes, but uh, it describes ski touring as. That the new hipster form of skiing. They, I'm delighted to hear that I'm a, a head of the curve or a hipster. I need to grow my beard a bit longer. Is this because but I've been ski- going on about how I'm a millennial and, and you you felt jealous, so you, you've wanted to get on board? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I live in Brighton. You know, it's a hipster kind of town anyway. Yeah. Uh, however, ski touring, you know, it's, it's something I find it extremely, you know, satisfying. I like the exercise. I like being out away from the peace and away from people and you know by its very nature it's slower there's no lifts involved you know you take your time you go up and you pick your own lines to uh, come down and I, and I can I I just want to throw in a, a mention for um, this company called Braemar Mountain Sports I I didn't want to wait until I got to Morocco to find out what kind of skis I was going to get. And if you look at the photos I put on Skipedia, it's probably a good, good um, decision. And I can only find one place in the UK that rented out touring equipment, and it's this place called Braemar Mountain Sports. And the stuff they gave me was brilliant, really light, really good quality, really comfortable boots. Um, took me a while, taking me a while to get used to those pins you know have at the front on ski touring boots. Um, but um, you know, they, the whole experience is really good and I'm definitely going to be doing more touring. Excellent stuff. And you're going to take me with you next time, right? Yeah, if you want to come, Pakistan, I'm looking I'm, into it. I'm looking into it. I'm, I was I'm thinking about, I've approached the the Pakistan National Federation of Skiing or something to, to see if they'd be up for, uh, you know, some kind of promotion. Well, I definitely have to come along to that. Um, right, um, from mountains that are um, inaccessible to mountains that are more accessible. This is my review of the ski area Grand Bornard, which is just around the corner from me. Hello from the Grand Bornard, the second biggest resort in the Aravis area. The piece map says 90 kilometres of piste and an altitude of 2,100 metres, which is 30 kilometres less than nearby La Clusa, but if you take away the selection of pointless, flat and unenjoyable blue runs that helps boost uh, the, the Clusa mileage, then they are probably about even in terms of mileage. I am sat at the furthest point on the piece map, at the top of the Tête d'Anse, where there are stunning views. Few people, you can hear the old lift, uh, lift behind me. Um, and the other thing that's up here is just trails left by skiers who have just started walking into the backcountry. Now, sometimes a piece map doesn't do a resort justice, and I'd say this is possibly one of them. Despite its small size, there is plenty to keep you busy for a week. There are big, wide, groomed blue runs for anyone who likes that. There are some really challenging red runs that are either looked after or left to, to develop over the year. 
all the, all the season. Um, there's some black runs. There's a really good free ride area that is left. Um, but, you know, they cut a run out into it so you can do the run and still get out, which is, I think, a really nice touch. Um, there is also one of the best um, parks I've seen um, around. Uh, definitely better than a few of the bigger resorts that I've got. So if you're into parks, then do check out the Grand Boulard as they've got a seriously well-maintained and underused park is probably the answer there. There are meandering runs, um, and the infrastructure is much better than the nearby the Clouseau, which I'm going to compare it to quite a bit. And the reason I think that is because um, it seems to be like there's a collective managing it. Um, the infrastructure feels new. I mean, there's some old eggs and a few drag lifts, but it feels like that they thought about it and how it will work together, where you get the feeling that the Clouseau is run by, every lift is run by a different person with a different idea. Um, the highest point is the Mont Chat, uh, which is 2,100 metres, and that's where you know the challenging stuff comes from. Um, and there's some great off-piste access from up there. And if you want to just try some little easy off-piste, there's some good easy access. Down in the village, um, it's nice and traditional with nice bars and restaurants. It's quite an affluent area with lots of big, beautiful chalets. Um, it's not ski in, ski out at all. However, you know, it's a great place if you want to either come from Geneva or if you are looking to um, drive um, to a resort because there's plenty of free parking, which is a great bonus. Anyway, I do recommend it. It's worth trying out. Um, there's plenty of self-catered accommodation. If you um, interestingly, in following on from what you were saying about ski touring, there is a lot of ski touring around the Grand Bonard. I have yet to get into it because it's. I'm still quite new to skiing, as we've talked about before. Um, I spent most of my time snowboarding, um, so I could go splitboarding. But a lot of people, there's a lot of really good routes. I've been watching keenly about where you can tour up, and there's lots of really nice routes. So it's a great place for that. Um, also, Ian, they're very proud of their Olympic medalists. They use them a lot in their marketing. Um, uh, for a population of 2,175, I have counted them myself, um, they've got 12 Olympic and Paralympic medals. It's pretty impressive, isn't it? It is very impressive. Is there anyone I might have heard of within that list? Um, I haven't got the list in front of me, and, and I hadn't heard of any of them. But obviously, you have a lot more knowledge about that sort of thing than me. Um, in this area that I live in, um, there is one last place to review, and shall I do it right now? I don't um, know. Oh, Saint Jean. Oh, it's going to be it's going to be quick. Saint Jean de Sist is the uh, see is the small town where I'm actually within um, the the communal. So my children go to Saint Jean de Sist school. Right. Um, and they've got one tow rope and it's average. <laughs> so there you go. But it's where, our, my, it's where my children, my children now go to the San Juan de Cist, um, uh, Sixth sorry, um, Ski Club. So um, they go to that and that's where they learn. Right. So are your kids going to be the sort of ones who, in a few years' time, um, GB Snow Sport are going to approach you and say, hey, don't let them race for France, make them race for Team GB? Well, I think we'd have to get um, a British nationality, which is maybe why, you know, they don't take as much care over my children. They're like, oh, <laughs> they can not listen to this bit. It's a uh, top secret. <laughs> but it's nice, the ski club. It's run by volunteers. It's like a football club in the UK. So it's, it's, um, it's nice. I like it. Right, review time. Let's go, Ian. Um, have you got a review for us? Yeah, I have. And, you know, I really like this review. So um, I had to read it out. It's a, it's a five-star one on iTunes uh, by Max Martin, who says, uh, absolutely... Is he related to you? He's not related. Well, I'm not aware that I've got any Maxes in our family. Absolutely compelling listening. Uh, shall I stop there or shall I read the next bit? The early ones sounded like two old codgers trying to switch on a tape recorder. <laughs> Fair point Tape recorder, old. but they progress quickly and now it's silky smooth, like the one show for skiing and snowboarding. I think we should be using that in our marketing, like the one show for skiing and snowboarding. Or is that a bad thing? Uh, I mean, I'm more I'm more interested to find out if uh, who is Matt Baker and who is Alex. What's her name? <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> It might mean we get on to uh, Strictly in due course, but uh, from random... And, and would that make 
would that make Ian um, like our special guests that keep reappearing, like Dave from Snowfo Ski School, for example? Yeah. Is he the equivalent to Giles Brandreth? He probably is. Yeah, I mean, I have to admit, I'm not an expert on the one show, but um, you can put that to Dave when he talks in next. Uh, Max continues uh, from random wittering. Was that the end of the review? No, no, he's continuing from random wittering, which I don't think we have any of, unless we're doing that now. To informative interviews insider knowledge news reviews book club and a ski product dragon's den we've done that dragon's den for a while but we do do the products they sound like two old blokes but amazingly these two ex-season heirs having a midlife crisis are still in their 30s um i'm not going to tell him so uh, it's quirky okay. and addictive if you miss your skiing don't miss this hey max martin that is a five-star review thank you very much Thank you very much. Um, I've got a review in that um, I don't know how many stars it is, but it's from my wife. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Fran, and it goes like this. Oh, actually, it's better than I thought. I just assumed it was two of you dicking around. Um, now she is. Now she's an avid listener and she's going through the back catalogue. Excellent. Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, I mean, that review amuses me. I think my wife probably just wonders, uh, you know, what's going on. But... Lots of people do go through the back catalogue. You know, what we can say is that people listen to one and then they listen to more and more and the numbers keep going up on our uh, old ones. So I'd, I'd personally thoroughly recommend that. If you're a newcomer to the Ski Podcast, go back. Yeah, I don't know how relevant. Good stuff. And then there's oh, one yeah, last actual review from another person that we don't know. Five yeah. stars from I Westy. Yeah. Is that right? It says, the perfect podcast for mountain lovers. Love this natural flow of chat between presenters. Clear passion for skiing in the mountains coming from both and a broad range of alpine content. Get the juices flowing for the season ahead. That's on the 20th of January. You know, it's pretty much halfway through the season now. Um, Cool. Excellent. Well, keep giving us your reviews because they help other people find us, Uh, particularly on iTunes, which is, I think, where most people listen. But, you know, however you get your podcast, I think, is a catchphrase. Right, let's um, up the celebrity content on the show. Ian, um, this is part two of Ian's chat with Eddie the Eagle. Right, so thinking about, you know, the current generation, I mean, I don't think anyone's competed from Britain in the ski jump since then, have they? But you may know that, um, you know, Team GB on the Winter Olympics side of things, from skiing and snowboarding, they have a goal to be a top five nation by 2030 in skiing and snowboarding. And one thing I find really interesting is that there's been a real change in perception. And I don't know if you've heard this quote, but Vicky Gosling, who I interviewed for the podcast a few episodes back, I'll put the details in the show notes. She's the CEO of GB Snowsport. And this is a quote from the Times the other day when they were talking about how um, Team GB are, uh, are looking to kind of change things around. And she's talking about you. Some people say, what a joke. But Eddie challenged everything and went for it with incredible determination. What makes us Brits special? It's grit. And he had that. And I find this fantastic. We're talking about the CEO of GB Snowsport here, who's using you as an example of what Britons need to do to be Mm. successful on the mountain. Had you heard that quote before? That's that's really nice. Um, Most of the time, they're being very derogatory. Uh, I mean, Clive uh, Woodward, uh, uh, the rugby uh, guy, he said, uh, you know, everything, uh, uh, Eddie epitomises everything that's wrong with British skiing. Um, So, yeah, it's really nice to have something positive about that. Because for me, it wasn't about winning a gold medal. It was just about getting there and competing and you know doing the best I could with what I had which was nothing and I used you know the biggest tools in my tool bag was resilience and tenacity and I never ever ever gave up and and that's what you need especially from Great Britain winter athletes they need that resilience and tenacity because it's not going to be easy absolutely well I mean that's what Vicky said there that incredible determination and what's interesting is that um, I think women's ski jump has only been in the Olympics for five years maybe two cycles and GB are going to develop a women's ski jump program because they're targeting that. And they see, firstly, Vicky Gosling told me that the TV uh, figures are quite good for ski jump, Mm -hmm. but also that they can see that there's uh, an opportunity to get people on the podium by moving in there uh, uh, quickly. Well, well, I've I've always maintained the fact that we could produce 
world and Olympic champions in ski jumping because it, the skiing part is actually a very small part of it. It's how you use your skis to fly. And we could build a very, very good ski jumping facility in the UK for plastic, jump for summer jumping. And yeah. we jump more in the, in the summer on the plastic than we do in the winter. And it's much better. It's much more consistent. And if we built a ski jump centre in the UK, homegrown talent, and within 10, 15 years, we produce world-class ski jumpers. It is much easier to do it that way um, than, uh, you know, I'm amazed when our snowboarders and our um, slalom skiers and things, you know, do as well as they do because they've got to spend time out here. Whereas ski jumping, we could, if we built a ski jump in the UK, do it all over That's there. a really interesting idea. And one, one of the other things that Vicky Gosling said to me was about talent spotting and looking at other sports and interesting in uh, previously you mentioned splash and how you did really well in that mm. one of the, I, it hadn't it hadn't occurred to me at all at the time but she said to me oh maybe there's a transference between uh, athletes who are good at high board diving because they could take obviously their their skills of not being intimidated by the height over to ski jumping now yeah. you did it the opposite direction did, do you yes. think it could go the other way do you it think that could it could yes uh, if we, but we need them as young as possible so yeah um, they would have to decide but if if they definitely show a talent where they're not so intimidated by uh, the high boards and the height um it would definitely it would definitely work because a 10 meter a 10 meter springboard or a 10 meter platform board uh diving is um you know it's slightly higher than maybe a 30 meter uh and that's the very small jump so you know you start there and then you you work your way up but okay. it's a different kind of um, feeling but that, if, you can, if you can be relaxed on that you know hopefully it'll take you forward they could they it would, it would be very easy to transfer definitely. great well it's interesting you said young because i believe they've targeted um a girl called mamie cooper who's a 15 year old who's joint nationality she lives in austria uh, but her parents are british and i know there are other uh athletes who are who are like that uh, you know, you mentioned about ski jumping in the summer in La Pra, Courcheval La Pra, very near to here. They do summer uh, jumping. And I believe there's a, a chap who has British parents who you've met before uh, who now represents France at yeah. ski jumping. Is yeah. that right? Yeah, he came fifth, I think, in the Youth Olympics. Um, John T. Um, and uh, he, he's born to British parents, but he was born here in France, in Courcheval, and uh, lives right next to the ski jump. And, yeah. um, uh, and he's a very, very, very good jumper. But he jumps for France because he was born in France. Um, and I've met my, met quite a few people over the years where, um, you know, they, um, they're born to British parents, but they live in France. They live in Switzerland, Austria, Finland, Norway, America, Canada. But they live near the ski jump. Um, and so they do some ski jumping. Well, there, there may always be the possibility that um, they could be tempted back. Because I don't know if you heard, there's a, a girl called Charlotte Banks. who's a snowball cross skier. Snowball snowboard cross athlete i interviewed her um a few episodes ago and she was competing for france and in fact she went the last two olympic cycles for france but she she has british parents oh. and she switched back to uh, gb and is yeah. now representing gb oh, so wow. who knows but yeah. you know what we should be seeing by the next uh, uh, winter olympics in three years time some british people taking part in um uh, in ski jumping and how how will you feel to see someone yeah. British taking part yeah no I think it'd be great um, you know um, they, they live out near the ski jump so hopefully they'll be able to train just like all the others and um, you know and perform really really well so I think it'd be fantastic yeah. and, and, and hypothetically you know I don't have anything to do with it but uh, obviously Vicky Gosling thinks that you have you know a lot of the uh, attributes you know if, if you were asked to kind of uh, contribute or put your thoughts in no no never you... have been never have done uh, would you me. would you share your knowledge? I don't know if it would be relevant, really, because you know what I did thirty years ago. The the sport has totally changed. Now. Yeah, totally changed. Um, and um, so it, it'll be nice. And I'll um, you know I'm I'm always willing to promote ski jumping as much as I can and skiing in Great Britain and around the world because uh, I think it's a great sport. But um, so I'm always happy to do that. But um, I don't, I'm really not sure whether they'll ask me to do anything, yeah. uh, especially in a in a in a like a training or anything. Yeah, like that. So, it, um, it's interesting. You say ski it. jumping has uh, changed. Obviously, in countries, some countries, it's like their main event. In Finland, uh, still, mm. when I was doing a little bit of research for this uh, interview I came across something which said that you once had a song that reached number two in the Finnish charts 
1991. Yeah. How did how on earth did that come about? Um, well, because of becoming Eddie the Eagle at the Calgary Olympics. Yeah. And in Finland, where ski jumping is literally a religion, everybody ski jumps in Finland. And and a Finnish singer and songwriter wrote a song about me. And one of the newspapers in Finland asked me to come over and sing a song with him and do <laughs> a few gigs. And and so I said yes. And so on January the 19th, 1991, I flew up there to meet this guy. But the the very morning that I went up there to fly up to meet him, he died of a heart attack. Oh my God. Um, and um, so they asked me to sing the song for him, and I sung it in Finnish, and they released it, and they reached number two in the charts. And, that uh, is a- amazing. You yeah, sung it in Finnish. How long did it Finnish. take you to learn that? It was hard, and I, I had the lyrics. I learned the lyrics phonetically and um, just kept singing, and, uh, yeah, people can understand it. And, right. um, yeah. And, yeah, and you're still uh, living off the royalties oh, from, <laughs> from that one now, I, yeah? I had a single royalty. I'll, think, I'll have to give them a <laughs> ring and say, you must owe me millions by now. <laughs> that's, that's great, Eddie. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, Ian, don't I don't know if you noticed this, but um, Eddie the Eagle sounds a lot like Trev no from Trev and Simon. Simon. Oh. <laughs> oh, right. I mean, we'll, we'll move on. Um, uh, it was interesting that he was talking, uh, but there's you don't necessarily you don't need to have ski um, skiing. You don't need to ski or have snow um, to to make a champion anymore. So essentially, you can become a ski jumper. We can make the ski jumper without the need to even go on the snow. That's um, an interesting concept. For sure. But I mean, you know, we've got the, um, you know, the fridge kids, that generation of uh, people who are, you know, bagging medals and performing well for Team GB at the moment. I mean, you know, we're going to talk about someone like James Woods later. He learned on, on Sheffield, which wasn't a snow slope. But I, I, I keep coming back to this. It feels like we're just creating something so we can win medals where there's no passion. You know, when Jenny Jones won her bronze medal, we were all crying and excited. We'd followed her story. When Billy Morgan, you know, got his medal in the big air, that was something. Whereas I kind of feel that, you know, someone we've just gone, well, do this because we can win a medal in it because no one else is winning as many medals and we can put the infrastructure into place. Doesn't it not just turn us into Russia and China who are there to churn out medals just to put a, a flag or a pin in a pole and show that we can get the points? It's not about the passion and going... Right. Well, I mean, there's there's two sides to that argument. Firstly, I would say that you know, Billy Morgan, I've got to uh, correct you on that, I don't even think that's a very good example because Billy Morgan was very successful as a gymnast and he you know segued from being a gymnast to being a, you know a freestyle snowboarder so in some respects he was you know just plucked from that other sport anyway if you listen to the interview i did with him at the ski show which is probably about episode 25 uh yeah 24 you know talked about how being upside down as a gymnast meant that you know he didn't have those sort of fears when he started going over big jumps however on the other side, you know, is Team GB's kind of stated goal that they want to be uh, much higher in the medal table and, you know, what they want is is medals. And if you think that, that you can listen to, I did the interview with uh, Vicky Gosling, CEO of uh, GB Snowsport in about episode 23 or something like that. You know, there's a cost to that. There's a, a cost of millions and millions of pounds in, in getting medals. And you have to kind of assess you know, how how important is that to us as a nation. I don't think comparing us with us with Russia is is that great because I'm pretty sure that we don't kind of do what they did, which is help their athletes cheat drug tests. Um, but you know we are very focused on winning medals these days, and you know there's a cost. You can spend that money on libraries or schools or okay, something well, instead. I still stand by my point. Um, and while we're talking about people crossing over, he talked about in that, um, that, you know, he crossed over into diving in the serious competitive yeah. sport of, um, the splash. Um, I was surprised when he was on yeah. the splash that there wasn't claims of past experience. Like there is on Strictly when people go, oh, they've already a professional uh-huh. dancer because I remember at the Birmingham ski show, uh, I think it was the last one he was there. And he's part of his um, entertainment that he was doing while at the ski show is he was jumping off a cherry picker into a giant airbag. 
which is basically the same as diving, right? My God, I remember that. God, how times have changed. You know, when... Um, you know, so it wasn't the Birmingham ski show, it was the Scottish ski show and it was appalling. Okay. Diving off a cherry picker in um, the, the Glasgow Exhibition Centre or having Hugh Jackman coming up to you asking for a selfie. Things, things change, don't yeah, they? Yeah, they do. I mean, I'd like to get see him get a selfie of him on a cherry picker with Hugh Jackman. Next time you see him, can you suggest that, please? Um, let's yeah. segue nicely into the Team GB update section. What have we got, Ian? Well, you know, at the time of recording today, we're in the middle of the uh, the Freestyle World Championships and it's going bloody well, quite frankly. Um, Woodsy, who we mentioned before, picked up the gold uh, earlier this week for ski slope style, uh, which, is, which is fantastic. I think it's the first uh, gold medal at World Championships, uh, certainly for any uh, Brit and skier. We've got um, Charlotte Banks, who we interviewed back in episode 25, who swapped from France to Britain, got the silver in the uh, snowboard cross. And um, Izzy Atkin, who won the bronze in the slope style at Pyeongchang. And you can listen to all our Pyeongchang episodes uh, back in the day. That's probably when we were pressing the tape recorder. Uh, She won the bronze in the big air. Actually, her specialist event is the slope style, but the women's slope style was cancelled because they've had really bad weather over in uh, Park City. So, you know, three medals at the freestyle. And, you know, when when Team GB or when the BOA look at how they're allocating funds, they look at, well, what are your chances of winning medals at the Olympics? And the World Championships are obviously a great predictor of that. And so three medals at the World Championships is is highly promising, particularly as... And the, the women's slope style didn't happen. And also in the junior world championships, which happened a little while ago, someone who I'd never heard of until then, someone called Connie Brogdon won the ski half pipe gold. So we've got, you know, more, uh, you know, younger athletes coming through uh, as well uh, with, with medal potential. So you know, extremely prom- promising. Great stuff. Great stuff. So um, it's been snowing quite a bit um, out here in the mountains. Um, in France, not quite as much as it has been at the beginning of the season in Austria, but it's been good. Um, so I've taken this opportunity to ask the personal, the ski podcast personal ski instructor, Dave, to tell us about um, how to ski in powder. So I've got that report from him right now. Hi, Jim. Uh, it's Dave Burrows here from Snow Pro Ski School. I hope you and everyone on the ski podcast is doing great i'm here to give you some tips for skiing in off piste um the first thing i want you to think about is your uh is your body position so skiing off piste you see an awful lot of people leaning back when they don't really need to you should still maintain the same body position as when you're skiing on the piste um if you're going if you're if you're doing it right the skis the ski tips are designed to 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 ride up out uh, of the snow and that's really what we're looking to do so we don't need to do any extra funky movements like leaving back or anything like that um, to get the skis to uh, to, to ride up um, the second thing I wanted to, uh, to, to to talk to you about is the concept of snow resistance okay so snow resistance is basically it's a flashy word for the amount of snow that is banging against your legs or or, or your uh, boots and that's the key thing for skiing off piste what we've got is when we're skiing on the piste there's nothing uh, resisting against our uh, against our boots and our legs but when you get in the off piste you've got that extra resistance so it slows you down now what that means is is that you don't have to turn as much as you would normally on a piste so on the same level of steepness of slope you don't have to turn so much um, so what that means is you can take a bit of a more direct line okay um, so you don't need to turn as much and you're using that snow resistance to help you slow you down you will be going slower so you don't have to turn as much if you overturn in the off piece unless it's extremely extremely steep if you overturn in the off piece you, you run the risk of tripping yourself up um, the third point which I, I just wanted to uh, to make for um, to you is that you know that we talked in the past about three different ways of getting a ski to turn you can push on them or press on them you can edge them or you can steer them in the off piece you don't particularly want to be edging your skis too much okay so what we're trying to do is steer our skis and using the up and down kind of pressure control movements um, and that's the way to ski off piece so we're just steering our skis with the slightly narrower stance 
and just skiing a slightly more direct line and that normally is enough to make massive improvements for most people in the off-piste um, so if you can uh, uh, if you can imagine all of that um, and it's difficult to transmit on a podcast but uh, I'm going to go for a, a bit of a run here now and um, and here we go so So I'm just trying to keep my stance, and keep above my feet here, and the tips of my skis are just floating up nicely above the slope here. I've got a slightly narrower stance because I'm trying to use the, the skis as, as almost like a mini snowboard underneath me. So I need that float, that's why we have the narrower stance. Um, I think that'll be... That's all to be getting on with, but uh, if you can remember those three tips, uh, that should uh, uh, that should serve you well in the off-piste and all this lovely snow that we've got here. Uh, hello from uh, Champery, and uh, I will see you all soon. Bye-bye. So the big thing that, from that, Ian, is don't lean back. Did uh, Why does everyone tell you to lean back? Who tells you to lean back, though? Well, you know, how do you ski powder? <laughs> everyone just goes, lean back. I don't think it's true. Mm, I think they just uh, instinctively think you should uh, uh, lean back. I mean, I think... It obviously helps if you've got nice big fat skis and it helps. It depends what you've got underneath you in terms of how much powder there is. But, um, but yeah, you know, Dave knows what he's talking about. And as the Giles Brandreth of the ski podcast, he should do. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. So I'm uh, once again with Simon from Waxoff.fr, a ski servicing guy. Guy, that's a nice title, isn't it? Yes. Um, in Morzine, um, and he has been helping me. So last time we spoke, Simon, I uh, you sent me off to with a shopping list of lots of stuff to buy. That's right. I spent about two hundred euros. Yeah. What am I going to do with all this kit? You're going to make your skis all sharp and fast. First of all, you're going to need to edge the wet skis, and then after you'll wax them. Uh, do you want me to dive in and take you through edging strip first of all? Please do. Now, the thing you said was the most important that I needed was um, a pair of um, vices. I've got those. And you'll be pleased to know, Simon, they yep. came with two free elastic bands. Yes. That is an absolute score. And um, what do I do with them? So, first of all, uh, take your elastic bands, take one ski, uh, and then you're going to need to wrap it around one side of the ski brake and then pull hard so the ski brake comes up or down, depending on your point of view. So it's in line with the ski as if your boot was in there. Wrap it over the top of the heel piece of the binding and then catch the other side of the ski brake as well. You're just trying to hold them completely out of the way so you've got full access to your edges. Okay. Uh, once you've done that on both your skis, um, put one of them into the vise. Uh, I like to work with the base of the ski away from me uh, when I'm doing edges. So I'll put it in there um, so the base is facing away from you and it's on its edge in the vices. They should allow you to do that. Yep. So the proper vices, like what I've got, um, yep. allow you to um, angle the skis to and forward each way um, on their side to make it easy access for edging. Yeah, perfect. Um, so you've got them in there, you've wound down the clamps to make sure that they're held in place nice and firmly. And then the next thing you're going to do is take your edge guide. Um, so I believe you've got an aluminium, uh, bent aluminium edge guide, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, and you've got a file. And, and a, yeah, I've got a file and I've also got myself a little clamp to hold it onto it. Perfect. So have a good look at your file. Make sure you know which direction it cuts in. Sometimes they have a little arrow on them that makes it a bit easier. If you look very carefully, you'll see there's a sharp edge and a chamfered edge to the teeth on the file. You want the sharp edge uh, facing towards you. So set that into the file guide and clamp it in firmly. And then with your thumb on top and your fingers underneath, then run from one end of the ski to the other. Uh, a lot of racers prefer to work tip to tail, but if we're just trying to get them sharp, then it's not absolutely critical right now. How do I know if they're sharp enough? Um, you can feel it. A little bit so use the back of your fingers uh, not your fingernail or run your fingers up and down it and just gently draw them perpendicular to the edge and you should be able to feel whether they're sharp or not another nice little neat little trick is if you've got a sharpie knocking about in your workshop if you run that down the edge it'll color in your edge and then when you file it you can see if you've taken away all the color or if there's any left on that'll give you a good idea as to whether you've managed to get it sharp or not Okay, so I've got sharp edges. What am I going to do to... How do I wax it then? What's the next step? Um, so once you've wha you've uh, sharpened all your edges, don't forget you're going to need to decide whether to detune the tip and tail. 
if you do decide to detune then just very gently just uh, sort of blunt the first five and the last five centimeters of the ski don't go crazy because you might want to get them sharp again but just slightly blunting um, okay so once you've done that you're going to need to wax them so then take them out and lay them in flat make sure you've brushed off any shavings of uh, of edges you've got in there so there's no bits of metal you're going to uh, get into the base of your ski um, obviously you might have decided to use the diamond to polish as well um, so for waxing turn your iron on first of all and make sure you set the iron at the correct temperature for the wax you've decided on so you've got a universal wax i think um can you remember what it says on the side of the packet for what it's supposed to be set at um, between 120 and 130 degrees yep so set your iron at the 120 let's keep it nice and cool and as that's warming up take the block of wax and crayon it into the base that's going to leave a very thin layer of wax on the top of the base just to protect it from your hot iron so you don't accidentally melt the base of your ski and then once the iron's warmed up hold the wax against the base of the iron and dribble it above the ski so that you dribble in a kind of zigzag pattern down the length of the ski so you've just got little blobs of wax all along the ski you don't need to put too much on you don't need to go crazy you can always put more on if you once you've got the wax uh, dribbled onto the ski then taking the iron running it carefully up and down the ski so that you melt the wax fully into the ski and you're trying to make it look nice and glossy so that the, the wax is all melted and it's starting to penetrate deep into the pores of the bases. Now is this a nice smooth motion or is it like I'm trying to iron um, a few creases out the collar of my shirt? A nice smooth motion works well. Trying to twist the iron from tip to tail. Tip to tail is, is how I tend to work. Again, it's not super critical if you're not racing. If you're racing, then there's there's lots of things. Um, people get very superstitious about how to get their skis ready if they're racing. Um, but for just general waxing, tip to tail is a good place to start. Um, and uh, nice, smooth motions, not twisting the iron around. Amazing. And then, so what's the finish that I've got here once I've done that? So once you've done that, um, you'll leave the ski to cool down so that the wax sets. You want it to set into the bases of the ski so that all the pores are full of wax and it's cold. Uh, once you've managed to, uh, once you've finished waxing the ski and you've let them cool down, you'll see that there's probably, if it's the first time you've done it, probably quite a thick layer of wax left on the base of the ski. And you need to take your scraper and scrape down the edges first of all to make sure you've got no wax stuck to the edges, paying particular attention to make sure nothing's dripped onto your bindings. It can be a bit dangerous if the wax gets into the bindings because you don't want to seize the mechanism. And then start scraping down the length of the ski. Now this one we do want to make sure is tip to tail. The way you hold a scraper is really important. So again, fingers wrapped around the outside and thumbs pressed in the middle. That way, if there's any slight variations on the base of the ski, you can press into it and remove any high levels of wax or anything that you need to get at. And scrape all down the ski until you've removed as much wax as you can. Ideally, you want it to look like there was never any wax put on there in the first place. The only way you'd be able to tell is that the base should now look glossy and saturated is a word we like to use. All right, then, Simon, what I'm going to do is I will have a go. Um, I've got several pairs of skis. I've even got an old broken set that I'm going to have my first attempt on. Once I've done it, I'm going to send you some pictures and you can tell me if I've done it any good or not. Um, and we can debrief uh, in the next episode. So that was that. And next week, you'll find out how I got on. Uh, are you tempted, Ian, after listening to this, that you might start doing your own skis again? Well, I don't have any skis, so... Um... That's not going to happen. I'm not going to service the higher shop skis. You know, personally, you know. Ian Martin, the Uber of um, skiing, or I don't know, maybe the Airbnb of skiing, the man who does lots of skiing with no, no none of his own skis. Well, I got I got my own boots because because I, I think boots are very important. But um, you know, when I went to Morocco, I took skis with me, and you know, it's a massive schlep whacking a some skis in a bag and carrying them to the airport and checking them in and picking them up and going the outsized baggage thing and you know you have to get a bigger taxi to get them in and and all of this kind of stuff um whereas you know it, normally you just go out to the apps hire if you hire equipment you can change your skis anytime you want to you know i can have touring skis one day or you know all mountain skis one day and you know they tend to be good equipment these days so I'm more of a hiring skis kind of guy, but if I was like you and I lived out in the Alps, I would have a whole selection. Uh, what do you call it? Your quiver of skis, so you can pick the ones uh, 
you want to for the right day. Um, did you know, Ian? And if you had, if I hadn't have told you, the question is: Did you know that you can do skiing as part of your PE lesson in some parts of uh, the UK? Uh, no, I didn't, and I wish I could have done that in PE instead of running around a field in a t-shirt. Here is um, a small interview with the people up at the Chill Factory who um, open their doors for kids to go and do their PE lessons on the slopes. Yeah, so my name's Francesca. I work in the school's um, department, so I organise school trips and visits, so from anybody looking to practice before they go abroad on their ski trip. Um, the last time I went skiing, I went to Finland uh, two years ago in February with my sister. Uh, so at Chill Factory, we organise GCSE assessments. Um, it's part of the GCSE that kids do in school, so it's part of their GCSE PE. They can choose a wide range of sports from football to netball, um, but you can also do it in skiing and snowboarding. Um, it's something that we introduced last year in 2017. Um, it was part of the new specification that actually schools had to do slalom. Um, which isn't always easy to do abroad because you can't always get the equipment that they need. So we took it on ourselves to um, offer it to schools to do it here at Chill Factory. Um, so we've developed it this year where we've got new, two new um, elements of it. Uh, so we do GCSE Basic and GCSE Competitive. So your Basic looks at either skiing or snowboarding and it's your technical elements. So your parallel skiing, your short turns, if you can stand up from getting from a fall. Um, and then the competitive is the time runs and the slalom. So we put a slalom course on our slope. Uh, we have instructors that are out there that time the guys um, on their, the students on their course and see if they can improve over the now hour. Um, students have to organise filming themselves um, or the teacher can do it for them and they can do it from the main slope balcony or they can go on the main slope itself to get a good vantage point, and then they can use that to help them get a score, and it's part of their um, assessment that they have to send it off to the board. What sport did you do when you were um, uh, doing PE, and what was your sport of choice? Mm, when I was at school, I played a lot of rugby. Um, you did so strike me as a rugby player. Well, times change, don't they? But at that time, I did, I did uh, lots of that. Um, but you know, you talk about GC, you know, doing skiing at GCSEs. I think that um, in the baccalaureate, you can do a skiing uh, option, which you know tends to be either just uh, posh private schools in the UK, but in Europe, you know, most people do the baccalaureate at a senior level, and yeah, you can well, do skiing there as well. Well, actually, um, Basie have aligned their, they've gone to, through the system, and so they've gone through a Scottish university, I think it is, and they've managed to align, they've managed to align the qualifications with um, actual um, results. So if you get your Basie Level 1, that is the equivalent of a GCSE in skiing. If you get your Basie Level 2, that's um, that's a-level equivalent and then once you're up into the level four super experience that's a degree level and you can actually um, use that um, as a a full-on degree um, transferable through um, a Scottish university. Okay okay well I mean that's good Um, that that kind of makes sense obviously it fits for a a career in the uh, ski industry but um, yeah, it's good that they're recognised qualifications. Absolutely. Right. Well, I think that's all we've got time for on today's podcast. Can, um, can I just say one, one more thing? I know you're, you're wrapping up there. But you said Uber earlier. And that reminded me that um, Uber have just started offering um, transfers in the Alps. I spotted this the other day. They're offering it out of uh, Grenoble Airport um, in a half term fixed rate uh fixed rate um uh, transfers and you know uber are kind of you know they are uh, everywhere and this is the first time i've noticed them in the uh, ski industry so uh we'll watch out for uh for what they're going to do in the future as well i'm assuming they've got extra large priuses to put your skis in right one would imagine so yeah don't know the answers to that but it's kind of inescapable and another example of how things are kind of changing Smashing. Well, um, I guess coming up on the next show, we're going to be speaking to a tour operator about the pressure of being a tour operator and that staffing issue we talked about. There's part three of skiing and servicing and um, seeing how I got on. Have you got anything to add to the show, Ian? 
Well, I'm sure I will have, but right now I haven't got a clue what it is. But uh, <laughs> there's always there's always uh, things uh, going on in the industry, aren't there? I'm going to a couple of events uh, up in London and uh, around the place. So we'll, well, there'll be something exclusive for us to talk about, I'm sure. Brilliant stuff. Well, please do get in touch with the show and share us with all your cool ski mates. Um, We are sponsored by The Chill Factory. I'm Jim Duncombe, and thank you very much, Ian, for joining us. Take care. No problem. Bye.